Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome everybody on all of our campuses, including Compassion Online. We're glad to have you with us, and especially our campus in Kamloops, British Columbia, Watch Party. Let's welcome everybody, shall we? Come on, y'all. <laughs> Love those Canadian watch parties, man. They're awesome. I can't tell you how excited I am, you know, that we're all here together for a couple of reasons. First of all, we had our first regathering last week on every campus, and it was amazing. Anybody want to say praise the Lord? Come on. It was great, great, great. I'm telling you, man, I got emotional, you know, as we were worshiping together, and man, as we visited with each other out in the lobby, and it was just this roar out there. It was awesome. You know, we watched everybody, you know, putting other people first by wearing a mask out of consideration for other people, and you know, making an extra effort to physically distance and then maintaining that AAA attitude, you know, even when we ran out of room and had to activate overflow areas. Uh, I just want to give a special thanks to everybody who stepped up on the serve team to make worship happen for everybody else. And man, thank God our Compassion family is still putting other people first and leading them to a life-changing relationship with Christ. Even through this crisis, man, God has been good, good, good. Isn't it good to be back together, y'all? Isn't it great to be back together? It's awesome. Now, the second reason I'm kind of pumped up is uh, we're launching a series today that I've been praying about for two years. Now, when my dad came home from serving as a bombardier and a pilot in World War II, he decided that the Huxfords were going to move from Russellville, South Carolina to Australia. We're going to Australia. Man, he'd seen the world during the war and he liked it. And he'd heard that you could still homestead in the outback of Australia. You could homestead thousands of acres as long as you would ranch them and live out there, had the courage to live out there. And I'm telling you, man, that kind of adventure just made all the sense in the world to him. Uh, he was a pilot, you know, and assumed that, you know, we'd be so far out in the sticks uh, that you'd have to have an airplane. And, you know, there's lots of airplanes, you know, after World War II. So he thought that's not going to be a problem. And, man, he started making plans. I'm telling you, he studied you know, what part of Australia do we go to? Where do we homestead? How do we get there? How do we get from one place to another? Uh, but eventually, he had to start asking the question about health care. What kind of health care would there be there? Because, you know, while he was making all of his plans, his oldest and best-looking son, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is, uh, but the best-looking one was diagnosed with very severe asthma. And I was allergic <laughs> to everything you can imagine. I was alerted to everything I could see from the front porch of our house. Corn, grass, cows, horses, dust, dogs, cats, of course, because they're not Christian. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and then as he continued to do this research, he found out that my breathing problems would probably be exacerbated by life out on the outback. And let me tell you, that really affected our family's plan. I mean, how in the world do you care for a sick kid who can't breathe when you gotta fly hours to get him to the nearest doctor and so after a lot of prayer, our plans changed. And my dad, just like any compassion Christian would, uh, put others before himself. And so uh, I grew up in South Carolina rather than the outback of Australia. Now, now here's the point. The hopes of that future destination just drove my dad to think and plan and pray and investigate and get everybody excited about how we could get there and what we would do when we got there and how we would live over there and all of that stuff. Now contrast that with the passion, contrast that passion with how much the typical follower of Jesus actually thinks about heaven. Let me ask you a question. How much have you thought about your future home in heaven this week? How much? Now sadly, 
Uh, we had another precious saint in our church uh, die and go to heaven Monday night, 1146. Patsy Wilson, uh, you know, had cancer. Uh, she passed from this life to the next last Monday night. And so her family's thinking about heaven today. But it's interesting to me that the more affluent the culture is, the less thinking tends to be done about heaven or honestly, life in eternity, wherever you may have a reservation. And I promise you, you have a reservation for eternity right now, right now. And so it's kind of goofy when you think about it. I mean, people going to Australia, you know, thinking, planning and praying and go through you know, all kind of thinking. And here we got people in our world who are either going to heaven or hell every single day and don't even think about it. Listen, we got three people in our world die every second. 180 people die every minute. Nearly 11,000 people die every hour. And if Jesus is right about where you go immediately after you die, and I assure you Jesus is right, then over a quarter million people depart this life every day on their way to heaven or to hell, most of whom have made no plans about it at all. Which is why David in Psalm 39 prayed, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Lord, remind me, my days are numbered. Remind me, Lord, how fleeting my life is. Because I'm telling you, as soon as my body dies, bam, next location. And listen, you were created in the image of God, whether you know God or not, whether you believe that or not, is irrelevant. You were created in the image of God. Consequently, you will never cease to exist. You're going to be somewhere forever. Now, back in the early days of the church, the followers of Jesus were living under this constant threat of persecution every single day. So, man, they looked forward to the return of Christ. They, they thought, we're going to graduate to heaven one day. It's going to be awesome. As a matter of fact, the last book of the New Testament ends with this prayer. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Take us home. Unfortunately, though, the more comfortable and the more focused you are on this world, the less you tend to investigate and even look forward to heaven. In fact, it's scary to me to think how many Christians are more focused on laying up treasure in this world, succeeding in this world, being famous in this world, more so than they are preparing for where they're going to live eternity, which is ironic because if you really believe that most of us will live less than 100 years here and then all eternity in either heaven or hell, it seems like you'd get intentional about prepping to prevail in eternity. But you know what it is about affluence? It makes you nearsighted. And I would say anybody who lives in America is affluent compared to most of the people who live in this world. I think another reason we don't talk much about heaven is that the Muslim suicide bombers and other religious fanatics have tried to hijack the idea of heaven. And we don't even want to be associated with that lunatic fringe. And so we make the opposite mistake. We, we avoid the subject altogether. I think another reason people don't think much about heaven is it reminds them that someday you're going to die. You're going to die. And a lot of people are in denial about that. They don't even want to think about it. I think an irrational reason we don't think much about heaven is we fear it's going to be boring. Everybody say boring. <laughs> now, some of us fear, I think, that heaven is just going to be one long, boring worship service. And can I tell you on the authority of the word of God, that ain't true. That is not true. You didn't learn. If that's what you think, you didn't learn that from the Bible. 
Now listen, I've been to more than my share of worship services and I love it. I love worship and I can't wait to get to heaven and worship with all of my people there. But I promise you this, heaven's going to be a lot more <laughs> than just singing and teaching. Now, you know, Randy Alcorn has written the best uh, mind-stretching book I've ever read on heaven. And we're going to give one of these away at the end of the service. So somebody get ready to receive this gift. But he says in his book, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And if you believe that lie, you will be robbed of your joy and anticipation. You'll set your mind on this world not the next. Now listen, man, the Apostle Paul, you know, a convert after a terribly sinful life who finally came to the Lord, he was excited about heaven. And that's why he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those of us who love him. And I just grew up hearing preachers quote that part of the verse, you know, and so I thought, wow, it must be so wild and so awesome and so unearthly that we just can't even imagine what it's going to be like. I guess we'll just have to wait till we get there to find out. Can you imagine moving to Australia saying, we're just going to have to wait till we get there to figure it out, you know? But listen, that's not the whole verse. That's not even the end of the sentence. Paul completes this in verse 10 when he says, but God has revealed. He has revealed it to us in his spirit. He has revealed to us what heaven is like in his word. That means the Holy Spirit has actually told us through the scripture quite a bit about the amazing place where every follower of Jesus will spend eternity. And frankly, he's also told us quite a bit about where everybody will be who rejects the Lord Jesus as well. Now, friends, the Bible doesn't describe heaven and hell exhaustively, but it does describe it accurately. And so today we're going to prepare ourselves for our eternal home, or at least start by drilling down on some of the things that we can know from the New Testament about what life is going to be like in heaven and in the alternative. And let me tell you what I'm praying. I'm praying that God will use this study to get you excited about the next life and make you sure that you have a reservation to spend eternity with God in heaven and then take as many people with you as possible. Now you need, yes, sir. Now you need to know, first of all, what God's, God's hope is that you will spend eternity with him in heaven. Now Jesus told his followers in John chapter 14, he has gone there to prepare a place for us so that where he is there, we may be also. Think about it. Jesus is preparing for our arrival and looking forward to it. So let's think a little bit about what, what lays in the future for us. All right, number one, heaven is a place of love and relationships, a place of great love and relationships. I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of my life foolishly thinking that heaven was going to be like bouncing around on clouds and squinting in the really bright light all the time. And that is a ridiculous misunderstanding of what the Bible says about heaven. Jesus said that heaven is a, it's a community it's a place of connection. It's a place of closeness. Man, you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a thief right next to him who put his faith in Jesus. And then Jesus told that guy, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me. You're going to be with me in paradise. We're going there today. Now, friends, that is kind of an amazing thing. Jesus assures this guy not only that he would not go to hell, but that he would be with Jesus in paradise. Now, heaven is also a place where we will recognize each other. You know, sometimes people ask me, Cam, do you think we'll know each other in heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I'm telling you, friend, you, ain't got, you, you don't really think you're going to be a ghost, do you? Or some disembodied spirit? That's Platonism. That's nothing about that in the New Testament. You will have exactly the same kind of body that Jesus had after his resurrection. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now listen, you will be easily recognized as you except an enhanced version. Isn't that what Jesus was? Didn't Jesus have the same body except enhanced in some really special ways after he rose from the dead? That's going to be you. It's going to be better than you can imagine. I mean, there's examples of this in Matthew chapter 17, when Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus knew them because he had known them in heaven. They knew each other because they were both in heaven. And apparently Jesus introduced them to three disciples. I mean, Moses and Elijah had died hundreds of years apart, thousands of years before the disciples were even born. And yet those guys met in heaven and were sent from heaven to earth to encourage Jesus. And Jesus introduced them to a couple of his buddies. Now, that kind of body is what you have to look forward to in the new heaven and the new earth, which will be just like our planet before it was corrupted by sin. And we'll talk some more about that later. Heaven is going to be a place of unbelievable reunions. I can't wait. You know how many compassion Christians are waiting for us in heaven? Do you know how many compassion Christians are cheering us on every week in heaven? I can't wait. Families, friends, loved ones, spouses, parents, children, they're going, to rec- they're going to recognize each other and be reunited in heaven. Man, did you hear the story about the guy who, uh, his wife died years before he did, and he finally showed up in heaven, and she met him, and she's showing him all around heaven, going, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? He's like, yeah, and if you'd let me eat some red meat, I could have been here years ago. <laughs> now, you know, friends, life here has been relationally hard for a lot of us. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a home where those who should have loved you didn't. In fact, they wounded you. Instead of loving you unconditionally, they wounded you. Now, you know, I've just been made aware that the reason abortion is so popular in some communities in our country is the prevalence of incest. You know, some of the women who've had that evil crime committed against them think that abortion is their only recourse. And it's heartbreaking because it's not. I mean, they don't know that having an abortion does you even more psychological damage to their already hurt heart. And it's so sad to me that they don't know that there are churches like this that would help. They don't know about Thrive and about the Savannah Care Center. They don't know how many adoptions I have arranged in my short life. They don't know. And because they don't know their relational world just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Some of you have had relationships where you've been betrayed and you understand that horrible pain. Or, you know, maybe you've just been lonely. You've had a lonely life for reasons that you don't understand. There's just been too little closeness, too little connection, too little safety in relationships. (laughs) Can, Can I tell you what's on the horizon for you? Heaven is a place of total relational healing and wholeness. Friends, one of my favorite descriptions of heaven is found in Revelation 21, verse 3, where John writes, I heard a loud voice from from the throne say, and listen, stop right here. John, John uses this line 20 times in the book of Revelation. And this is number 20. It's the final time. It's the most triumphant time. It's leading up to the best news of all. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look. 
God's home is now among his people and God will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things gone forever. And then I heard the one sitting on the throne say, look, I am making everything new. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine a woman who struggled all her life with loneliness, finally hearing the voice of her heavenly father whisper in her ear, well done, my darling, good, faithful daughter. From this day forward, you are going to feel loved. I mean, you're going to feel the love of heaven to the core of your being. You'll never doubt it again. You know, the Bible says in heaven, we'll receive a new name in Revelation 2, verse 17. Can you imagine some young man who grew up without a dad in a fatherless world, consequently struggled all his life with a sense of worth and direction, you know, been driven by that lack in his past, pushed around in his heart and his emotions. And finally in heaven, God whispering to him today, I'm giving you a new name. And your new name means good and worthy and noble and strong. And we'll just watch all the tension and all of the doubt drain out of his heart. And he will feel solid and strong and at peace to the core. Now, friends, that is the quality of life that the Holy Spirit wants to make possible for every one of us right now in the church on earth. But in heaven, <laughs> it'll be the norm. Dude, heaven is just going to open up a whole new relational world for all of us. You know, Revelation 7 says there'll be a great multitude of people there that no one can count. People from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. No more racial prejudice. No class distinctions. No cruel, thoughtless, testimony-destroying Facebook posts. No fear or resentment of people who are different. Because heaven is a place of perfect love and perfect relationships. And just as a sidebar, some of you wonder if there are going to be animals in heaven. The answer is yes. Dogs, yes. Cats, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just kidding about that. You know, in Revelation 6 and 9, the Bible actually mentions horses. So our vets will be happy. You'll have plenty to do. All right. Uh, Isaiah 11 speaks of the lion lying down with the lamb together in heaven. And I had a lady tell me one time, a lion is a big cat. I'm like, no, lions eat cats. That's what they do. Okay. I don't know how, do you want to know how it's all going to work out? Come next week, I'll tell you, all right? <laughs> heaven is also going to be a place of personal growth and discovery. You know, sometimes I think we think because heaven is perfect, that, that when we get to heaven, we'll just automatically know everything and there won't be anything new to learn. Friends, the only person in all creation who knows everything is God. And I'm pretty sure you ain't him, all right? I mean, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. God raised us up with Christ and seated us where? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And then look what happens next. In order that the come, in, the coming, in the coming ages, you know, in the next life, he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now look at this word right here. This is a very important word. This means education. This means progressive, ongoing discovery as we learn more and more and more while we're in heaven. Now, friends, it's exciting to me to think that heaven is going to be a place where there is intellectual activation and discovery and learning going on forever because I got so many unanswered questions. Can anybody say amen about that? 
I mean, just about life on earth. I mean, not eternity and all this out there that we don't know about yet. Think of being able to ask why certain things happen in your life when you just think there ain't no earthly explanation for that. You could ask God why certain tragedies happen in your life, Lord. And maybe God will say, well, you know, it's because the world was corrupted by sin and my heart was broken when that happened to you. Or maybe he'll say, I allowed that to happen to make you strong, to make you wise, to make you more useful in my unfolding plan of your life. Or you know what? We can get to Michael, uh, the archangel Michael and pull him aside and say, dude, let's hear some war stories, man. And he could tell us about angels fighting spiritual battles in our lives that we had no idea what was going on. I can't wait to sit down with Michael and say, okay, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prayed, and you said you left the day he prayed to come and help him out, but you had to fight the prince of Persia for 21 days, which is some kind of demonic force. Dude, tell us that story. <laughs> or you know, Hebrews 13 says that some of us have entertained angels without even knowing it. Can you tell me if that ever happened to me? Matthew 10, Matthew 18, Jesus said that every child has a guardian angel. And I just want to know, who was my guardian angel? Did I wear him out? Where'd he go? You know? <laughs> Lord, was there ever any time when you sent an angel from heaven to encourage me the way you sent an angel to encourage Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? You think little miscarried boys are taught how to shoot a bow or play a guitar in heaven by David because he's there can you imagine taking leadership classes from Moses? Can you imagine talking to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. about moral courage? Can you imagine taking a preaching class with Harrison Huxford? Hey, don't laugh. He'll probably be there. I, I'm pretty sure he'll be there. <laughs> Can you imagine being able to ask our Father in Heaven, help me understand how predestination and free will work together? Lord, would you tell us a story of how you prepared our church in 2017 for the COVID crisis in 2020? Lord, could you explain to us how you were involved in the political processes during the era in which we were so divided that, you know, Christians just had to vote on, on spiritual convictions because we didn't respect any candidates. Friends, our mind in heaven will be keen and our intellects will be sharp. And we'll be able to get answers. Heaven is a place of ongoing intellectual discovery and growth. And let me tell you, heaven is a place of rewards. You know, Paul wrote, we are saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. And while it is true that we are not saved by doing good works, can I hear amen? amen. You'll never be that good, y'all. We will be rewarded for good works in heaven. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 16, the Son of Man is going to come into his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And Randy Alcorn writes in this book, belief determines our eternal destination, you know, where we will be for all eternity. Behavior determines our eternal rewards and what we will have. And let me tell you, people who have faithfully, generously served the Lord with no recognition in this life, Dude, they're going to receive the affirmation and the reward of Jesus in heaven. I mean, heaven's going to be a place of love and relationships and intellectual growth and discovery. It's going to be a place of eternal rewards. Heaven is also a place of productivity and accomplishment. I mean, in Revelation 7 and 22 points out that in heaven we will serve the Lord. You ain't going to be floating around on a cloud somewhere. Dude, you're going to be busy. You know, people ask me sometimes, Cam, why do you encourage people to serve all the time here at Compassion? Well, one reason is I'm trying to get you ready for heaven. I mean, it says there will no longer be any curse. 
and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his, say it with me, everybody, servants will serve him. Who's that? That's us. Listen, can you imagine doing significant work in a perfect body with a totally uh, optimized mind? I mean, can you imagine doing work without the curse of sin? No miscommunication, no weariness from stress, no boredom, no lies, no stealing, no impatience, no lack of capacity. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do you not know that we will judge angels? Dude, you ain't going to be an angel when you get to heaven. That would be a demotion for you. We're going to lead and govern angels in heaven. I mean, you've got you to remember, followers of Jesus will be the only people in heaven who got there by faith. And the scripture tells us the angels are fascinated by this. Seems like they, that, that conversion by faith will position us in heaven in a special way. Listen, man, heaven is a place where we will make important decisions and accomplish important tasks. You know, sometimes the Bible talks about heaven as a place of rest. And I can't, I can't wait to get there and just get, you know, wouldn't you love to sleep through the night one more time? I haven't slept through the night since I was 58 years old, y'all. I'm telling you, man, I'm just looking forward to it. But listen, that has led people sometimes to falsely assume that you're just going to be laying around with nothing to do or bored to death because nobody's asking you to do anything that lights you up. Come on. Dude, the opposite of that is true. I think in heaven, you'll be doing the things that God created you to do. And yet you'll have the great coaching that some of us never got in this life. And, and you'll have optimized all of the capacities that God created in you. And, our, and his saints will serve him. And maybe that service will align with stuff that you love doing right now. Or maybe he will challenge you. He will do you the favor of challenging you to do something hard and important that you ain't ever done before. And that'll jack you up because you've got to figure this thing out. There's no death in heaven, so the funeral home director's out of business. You got to find something else, bro. You got to find something else. There's no tooth decay in heaven, so no dental practices. You know, maybe they'll have them drilling for some exotic material somewhere or, you know, on some creative art project or some construction project somewhere. This is part of the mystery of heaven. This is the part that honestly is hard to conceptualize because the Bible is not exhaustively descriptive. You know, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and the mind has not conceived on earth yet the challenging exhilarating, captivating opportunities that we'll have to make a contribution in heaven. But Revelation 5, in Revelation 5, Jesus said, you have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Think about that. Think about, I, I think this means that we will have an endless mission to glorify God through leadership and productivity and teaching and accomplishment and excellence that would just light us up. And you know what happens when you get a bunch of high capacity people all working together for a single goal with great unity and great energy for a noble cause? You know what, you know what the dominant sound is you hear from elite teams like that? Laughter. Laughter. Man, you should have heard the laughter and the roar that was going on in the lobby after every service uh, last week on every campus after the church had been apart for 196 days. And dude, now we're back. And it was loud and beautiful and fun. Multiply that a million times. And you'll have a sense of the joy that is on the horizon for us in heaven. C.S. Lewis said that joy is a serious business of heaven. Because I'll tell you why. When you get to do what you love with people you love, 
Dude, there is a joy that makes you strong and you want to run harder because you can run hard because we're running together. The alternative to heaven, though, is hell. And friends, let me tell you, if you go there, it'll be because you chose to. You chose to. You have to choose to go to heaven. And if you don't, you're choosing to go to hell. There's no joy in hell. The Bible describes hell as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, total isolation, eternal regret. If you want to try to conceptualize hell, think solitary confinement in a place where your mind is just filled with regret and obsessed with whatever dark pull that sucks the life out of you right now and makes you say no to God. What is it? Pride, selfishness, insecurity, worry, hate, fear. That's what you'll obsess on in hell. For there will be no fellowship in hell, no grace, no good, no joy, no hope. Now let me share with you just a couple biblical observations about hell. Number one, Jesus believed in hell. Now you know you talk to people who feel like they're so smart and they're so sophisticated. You still believe in hell, really? Well, so did Jesus. So did Jesus. Jesus warned people more about hell than he encouraged people about heaven. You know why? Because it's real. And he knows that. And he didn't want anybody to go there. He gave his life so nobody would have to go there. In Matthew 25, Jesus describes a judgment as a gathering of everybody who has ever lived. And then there's a separation of those who are going to go to heaven because they put their trust in Jesus and everybody else. And let me tell you, the people who founded our country believe that. There's a reference to that judgment that is inscribed on the dome of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. The founding fathers of our nation believed Jesus and took it so seriously that they literally carved it in stone. I mean, on the Capitol building is an inscription that says, one God, one law, one element, one creation, and one far-off divine event toward which all of creation moves. Friends, Jesus taught that in the end, our next stop will be heaven or hell. It won't be annihilation. You won't won't be disappearing, friends. You're going to be somewhere forever, and that should motivate you. Jesus also taught that hell was prepared for the devil and his associates. He taught this in Matthew 25. Hell was designed to provide a place where God could deal righteously with the forces of darkness who are trying to pervert every good thing in his creation. However, People who reject God will one day die and because they have an eternal spirit, they will have to face the Lord that they have rejected. And Paul makes it crystal clear. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. But I'm telling you the most heartbreaking reality about hell is that people choose it. They choose it. Now, you know, if you read what Jesus had to say about hell in the New Testament, he said a lot. 13% of his teachings were about eternal judgment and hell. Two-thirds of his parables refer to the resurrection and judgment. And, and when you read Jesus, he's not, his tone is not cruel, and it's not capricious when he talks about hell. It's blunt. Blunt. When Jesus talks about hell, he is candid because he is concerned. Listen, people who choose to reject God have only one alternate destination in eternity, and that is a serious choice that will have a real effect. 
Now, friends, the Bible teaches that nobody wants to keep people out of hell more than God does. Nobody has done more, given more, sacrificed more, taught more, pled more to keep people out of hell than God has. I mean, Peter reminded us, look, the, the reason the Lord hadn't come back yet is because he's patient. He's patient with you. He didn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. I mean, in another place, Paul wrote, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved, who wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so, friend, I'm telling you, on that last day, if you're in hell, you won't be surprised. You won't be surprised. You will be clear in your mind that you rejected God, you rejected him over and over and over and over again when he made every effort to save you. You will have chosen that. You won't be deceived. But for those who say yes to God, <laughs> heaven is the home that Jesus has been preparing for us. Just as God made earth originally as a perfect environment where he could have perfect fellowship with his people that he loves so much. When a follower of Jesus dies, they go to a new heaven and a new earth where God's original dream can become reality for us. In Revelation 21, God himself will be with them and he will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For this old order of things will have passed away. Now, some of you live with physical pain in your body every day. In heaven, pain-free. No more COVID, no more cancer, no more. Our loved ones here and our family members who right now scattered all through our worship centers in wheelchairs will be able to run and walk full strength, disabled, no more. Our compassion Christian children who have special needs will be healthy and whole and have able bodies and able minds, limited no more. Those of you who are bearing emotional scars and nightmares and memories and flashbacks and heartbreaks and disappointments that are overwhelming to you right now in heaven, no more. Totally healed. No more anxious waiting rooms. No more bloated stomachs. No more empty tissue boxes. No more tear-stained divorce papers. No more motionless ultrasounds. No more tiny caskets, no disease, no AIDS, no genocide, no death, no more. <laughs> You'll be home. God is inviting you home. He is inviting you to a home where I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Say it with me, everybody. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like lions, come on. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And my people are waiting for me there. They're waiting for me. My dad is already there. My grandfathers and grandmothers are there with him. My father-in-law and mother-in-law are waiting for me. Sarah and I have two children in heaven waiting for us, waiting for us to come home. God's grace is an invitation for you to be a part of his family, to come to a home where the family is strong and everybody is always excited to see you and living every day is an adventure. And your heavenly father is there. My heavenly father is there. The one who loved me before I ever knew his name. The one who sent his son to die for me. The one who was a father to the fatherless for me when my dad died. The one who has called my name a thousand times. And now he's calling yours. 
He beckons to you. Come home. Come home. The only one who can welcome you to heaven beckons to you. The only one who can ever say, well done, good and faithful servant, calls to you. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life and come home. Now, in just a moment, our campus pastors are going to tell you how to take that step, your first step toward heaven. If you don't have a reservation there, they're going to tell you how to make your first step toward heaven. But let me leave you with a couple discussion questions that you can use to kind of stamp this message on your heart. If you're online, man, just turn to the person right next to you and ask them this question. And if you're here in person on one of our campuses, ask this question on the way home. Other than Jesus, who are you looking forward to seeing the most the day you arrive in heaven? If you've got people there, you probably do. Who is the person you're looking forward to seeing the most other than Jesus? And here's question number two. Who is your one? Who is that one person that you are praying God will use you so that you can take them to heaven with you? Who's your one? Father, I'm thankful that I was somebody's one. I was my dad's one. I was my mother's one. I was my pastor's one. Lord, <clears throat> I was the one of some preacher from Atlanta that came to my church and shared the gospel and convinced me that I was lost and on my way to hell. And that motivated me to give my life to Jesus. And I am so thankful that somebody cared enough to talk to me about what is real and what is in the future. And Lord, because I made a decision about the future, it's changed everything in my life in the present. It has made my life so good. And my life's been hard sometimes, but it's been hard and good. My life has been frustrating sometimes, but it's been frustrating and good because of my relationship with Christ. I pray, God, that there will be those who will seek that today, who will, you know, get on the chat and say, somebody help me understand how to become a follower of Christ. Somebody... I pray that there will be those who go to starting point, Lord, those who will uh, go to connecting point or come right down front at the, one of our campuses and say, somebody help me. Help me on my way home. And Lord, I pray that that will start today for somebody here. In Jesus' name, amen.